Welcome to the Kickpod, your weekly DNM on the stuff that matters. Hello there. Hello there. Hello. We are out of lockdown. But not together. <laughs> We're I out of what? lockdown. Oh, no, no. I forgot we could have recorded this together. <laughs> Is I know, this I how much I'm not it. in tune? Like, I feel like it's Well, surreal. we're just so used to doing it over Zoom. I can't believe we could have done this in person. <laughs> That's all right. Oh, and our, and our guest today as well, she's in Melbourne. We could have, oh, my God, we literally all could, could have got have together. We could have done it in person. But anyway, that's okay. Don't worry. Anyone thinking, oh, no, it's fine. It will still be the same recording you usually have, but we obviously are just not in the routine of going back to normality. Yeah, but yay for Freedom Friday. This is so exciting. What are you doing over the weekend? What plans have you made? Well, I was really, when we found out we were coming out of lockdown, I... Which wasn't that long ago. (laughs) No, Sunday, like a week, Mm. five days ago or something. I thought to myself, oh, I should book in some things. And then I was like, oh, but everyone's probably really busy and already has things booked in. And then like, I didn't do anything. And then, like, now I don't really – so this no, this weekend tonight, actually, Dalton booked us to go out for dinner. So I, that will be, like, what the heck? Like, that Is that will a be date just, night or are you seeing other people? A date night. A date night. A date night. Oh, that's no, cute. if we were going to catch up with people, I would really like to catch up with you first. <laughs> I wouldn't, like, not go – I wouldn't feel – just I mean, that's know. really sweet. That's You know what's funny about that is, like, that's really sweet, but, like, Josh and I – way more keen to see other people yeah. than we are to have Look, a date night. Dalton booked it, okay? <laughs> Dalton booked That's all I'm going to say. No, no, no. I'm excited no it'll be so nice. It'll be so nice. Yes. And then on Sunday, <laughs> haven't planned anything for tomorrow, you know, we're going to have a raging Saturday night at home, I think. Uh, maybe if you, uh, wait, are you free? You're probably busy. Uh, we have got people you coming over, but, but <laughs> you know you what we could do? do? face of like, oh. We can go back to catching up on a Saturday after all our Saturday morning exercise for like a coffee and, and some avo and toast. We can go to a cafe. Love it. Amazing. Okay, well, there you go. That's my Saturday plans. And then on Sunday, uh, my family coming over. I am so oh, excited nice. for dinner. Yes. So that that is that is me. Oh, I mean, no. All of my plans this weekend are me staying home. As oh, my God, like, what are your plans? Oh, I'm so rude. I thought you told me, but you didn't. No. Tell me the plans. Tell me the plans. No, it's, it's probably because I have told you outside of the podcast. I know like, tonight what you're doing. Oh, but tell, yeah. tell, tell us. So I've got two girlfriends coming over tonight, which yes. is so nice. Amazing. And then um, tomorrow night we've got, yeah, two friends coming over that haven't, they're not in our radius, so we haven't even been able to go for a walk with them oh. in this time. So it's been so long. And then on Sunday um, we're having my family over for like an early dinner and an afternoon with Harvey. Amazing. So yeah, it's it's like, it's just, honestly, I think that's the thing I'm most excited about with lockdown ending. Um, I'm definitely excited to eat out and everything like that. Like I'm such a foodie and I do love that. But right now I'm just ready to have people over. I'm just so excited about that. Oh my God, 100%, 100,000,000%. I feel mm. you. I feel you. So Special share? Special share. You know, I have to. I don't have one. I'm so sorry. I was thinking of one that I was going to make up on the spot. I was like, that's not valuable. I'm just going to say I don't have one. Okay. Sorry. That's honest. I've never done that before. I get one pass a year. I'm taking it. These are my pass. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Um, because mine, you know, might be yours after you've tried it, but it's our lemon slice that has dropped into the Keeper Cleaner Yes, app. I it have. Is... It's an amazing recipe. Oh, it's so an amazing so recipe. Good. Yes. So delicious, so easy. I often get like 
not intimidated, but as soon as I see the word food processor, I'm usually like, oh, can I be bothered? But it's really not that hard when you actually do it. You know, after I've actually made, like I make something like a bliss balls or whatever, those kind of recipes that you need to blend dates and stuff like that and you need to use something like a food processor. It's, I think the thought is so much harder than the actual action itself. And I, it was really easy to make. It was, you know, there's no baking involved. It's a raw slice. So it actually was really quick as well. And it's so delicious. I loved your reel that you did. And also it's so funny. I feel like when you get into a habit of, or even if you own a food processor, you're an adult. I feel Mm. like it's such an adult thing to own. Like, So So you are adulting. Amazing. I love that as your special share. Fantastic. And and I'm I'm sorry, everyone listening, I'm sorry I don't have one. I just didn't want to give you one that wasn't authentic. That's is that okay? Yeah, of course (laughs) it is. Okay. Okay, now for some exciting kick updates. So at the time we are recording this, it hasn't been World Pass today yet, but it is on Monday. So by the time you're listening to this, it will have passed. So World Pass today was when you're listening to this. There's a lot of tenses going on here. On Monday, <laughs> we released 10 new recipes into the kick app, mm. which they are delicious, mouthwatering. Is there anything better than pasta? Probably not. No. So hope <laughs> you enjoy those recipes. And by the time this is out as well, we would have done our World Pasta Day cooking Night so excited for with it. the community. So excited for it. Yes. So we are very excited for that. Sorry if you're listening, it would have already passed. We've really matched up the tenses today. Sorry, guys. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, anyway, moving on. Uh, but what you all you need to know is there are 10 new pasta recipes in the app, which is super exciting. It's so exciting. I am a major pasta fan. So yeah, as soon as I knew that we were doing this, I got super excited about it. Um, they are all so delicious. So make sure you check them out. And for another update, it is now week three of the Kick Run program. Well, if you're following it from when it launched. So obviously you can start your Kick Run journey whenever you want, but I've been following it from day one. So I'm also in week three with a lot of the community. It's been so amazing. I'm loving it. Oh, it's, um, yeah, it's, it has just been so nice to read how everyone is going. It's just literally the best thing in the whole world and to see everyone sticking with it. I think as we get to these kind of part, like the part of the program now, the week three, depending also for anyone listening, I keep getting messages if we're going to delete it out of the app. Absolutely not. You can start whenever you want to. Mm. It is completely up to you when you want to start. But if you did start when we launched, you, you would be up to week kind of three where it's becoming a little bit more difficult, but you're ready mm. for it. So don't don't think, oh, I can't run more than I'm walking because, because you can. Mm. And it isn't about pushing yourself too hard and fast yes. and burning out. So it's about connecting to your body, your breath and your mindset and the whole program is very is designed to very gradually build endurance and to run at an easy pace that suits you so if you're out of breath or struggling try to really slow it down to a pace where you're able to control your breathing you can also repeat the same run each day for the week before you progress completely up to you so if you do get to a point where you are thinking that you you can't get through a run that's absolutely okay what we would recommend is for you to try doing the first run of the week three times and then get back into the program the next week and then if you want to try another option you could repeat the whole week again before moving on to the next week so remember that this program is about you it is a guide you can do it but the biggest thing I would say is really to not worry about your pace just take it as you as long as you're moving that's all that matters I know that's something that I keep having to remind myself of because definitely we even week two week two was such a step up I felt um 
a lot more of a challenge than week one. Mm. Um, but I did notice it was because I was still really pushing my pace and concerned about my pace. And I just need to forget about that for now. Because I noticed as soon as I started slowing it down, it, it did feel, it felt more possible. <laughs> the finish line felt more, you know, achievable. So um, that's something that I think I need to, I need to keep tackling almost every run, but I loved those tips. Thanks, Loz. You're very welcome. And now <laughs> for our DM of the week. So just a reminder, if you do have a DM question for us, you can send it into our email podcast at keepitcleaner.com.au. And this one is a good one because it is about running. So this, we also keep them anonymous just so you know if you're going to send it in. <laughs> Hi, Steph and Laura. Running has always been my passion. It was my meditation, my exercise, my me time and my time to challenge and push myself. I loved it. And living in Melbourne, Australia, I think you can both appreciate that it was the only thing that got me through last year. Yes. When I read this question, I was like, that is literally me. At the beginning of the year, however, due to health concerns, I had to give it up and haven't run in over 10 months. As a result of this, my mental health and other aspects of my life have also suffered. I'm not finding any joy in my new grad position, which was my dream job three years ago. I'm no longer coping as well with stressful situations, seeing as running was my outlet, and I'm so sad because my two best friends have moved abroad to study. Laura, I know you share my passion for running and wanted to ask how you would cope with this situation if your one and only passion was taken away from you. I'm finding it difficult to work out whether maybe my new job isn't for me, maybe I just miss my friends, or maybe if I was able to run that everything else would seem so much better. Would love some tips on how to navigate this confusing part of my life. Mm. Oh, that's hard. Yeah. I'll let you touch on the whole what would you do if you were told you couldn't run. Um, But I think, like, I wonder... You know, obviously, we're not sure why you can't. I mean, is there another form of exercise or moving your body that you can find brings that same joy or meditative state um, as running? I, I, I know, for example, for me, I love my long walks and even just my short walks. I just I like to walk daily and that's just something that I do for myself and I do feel really out of it when I haven't done that. And when I was told towards the end of my pregnancy that, you know, I couldn't go for any longer than a kilometre and I had to do it really slowly, um, which, you know, I wasn't really motivated to do it every day. Um, I did feel very different, but I just found other forms of moving my body that made me feel the same way or even other activities that made me feel, that filled up my cup a little bit. So I wonder if there's just things that maybe you haven't tried. You know, you might have tried other forms of exercise and you're just like, nah, nothing's as good as running. And you know what? (laughs) Nothing might ever feel just quite the same or as good as running but yeah maybe it's trying something new trying something finding something else that um fills your cup up like running did I think that's such a such a good answer Steph and I I think as well when I read this question obviously it's quite niche specific to running but I thought for you know this is such a good one for anyone as well that might be injured from they can't exercise or you know they might have you might have hurt your legs so you can't do walking and running, but you maybe could do upper body strength session. I think it's just for me, I mean, I've, when I've been injured and this has happened to me, I have felt very sad and very disorientated in my life because of, yeah, running, I don't know, it just becomes this outlet for you and it is hard. But what I would recommend doing is focusing, writing down what do you get out of your run? So what are the mm. things that make you feel? So for me, for example, if I go for a walk, in the morning before work it's lovely but I don't get the same energy after it Mm -hmm. as I do after a run because I haven't exerted myself to or like a high intensity kind of workout so Mm -hmm. I would say if that's what you want to get out of it a more high intensity high intensity workout 
I don't know if you can do anything high intensity, but is, if there anything else you can do, cycling is also a really good, like on a, um, if you can get a bike, uh, what are they called? Like a static bike or go, mm-hmm. now gyms are opening back up. You can go, if, if you can do cycling, that's another very, very similar exercise. Swimming, swimming. is also, except the only thing is you have to like go to the pool and get but wet swimming hair, is but- a really great option, especially for a lot of people. I, again, we don't know what you know, what's happened or um, why you can't run. But for a lot of people who it's because of some sort of injury or anything like that, swimming is used a lot in, in, in rehab and um, yes. is a really low impact option of, of, of a good cardio option. So, yeah, I think I, that's, that's a great, that's really great advice. So try and try and find another outlet if you can to get that kind of energy. But if you can't do anything high intensity, instead of worrying about not being able to do it, focus on what you can do. So that feeling of what you got when you were running, you know, being outside, you're feeling like super strong, empowered, all of those things, the energy, try and find something else in your life where you get that from. So even if it might be walking, that might not give you exactly the same feeling. It's still, and put it like, you know, maybe put a good podcast on or put your favorite music on in your ears and do that. And then maybe if you can do strength work, do like I, when I couldn't run, I was doing keep it clean and strength workouts, also keep it clean and Pilates workouts. I love doing them. Um, just try and focus on what you can control. If, if you can't run, obviously it's really hard, but there's other things. If there are other things you can do, try and sub them in. And then I think with working out, if your new job isn't for me, I think it's really for you. It is really, it's a really hard thing to be going through. I, if you're feeling really down without the running and you haven't found anything to fill it in yet, I personally wouldn't make any life decisions because I think Mm. it would be quite, the fact that I I couldn't run would probably be, because sometimes I feel like when you feel, you're feeling down, then you go into your work, no matter what you're doing, you probably will feel down because you're already kind of feeling it. So I would not make any decisions right now, but I would really monitor, you know, when you're in your job, when you're working, is it the fact that, you know, you haven't run that morning, you don't have the same energy that you feel down about, or is it the actual job that that mm. might help? I don't know if that's helpful at all. It's a really, a really good, hard, yeah. hard situation. And you, you just, you just, especially because you've studied for such a long time to get into this job, it's really, which doesn't mean that you can't change. Like, absolutely. That's so normal to change career paths. We do it. We speak about it all the time, how normal it is, but you don't want to make a decision based right now if it is because of something else and it's not actually the job. So I would take take time and really try and separate them if you can in your mind. Thank you for sending in your question and we hope that, yeah, it helped a little bit. Anyway, now for this week's... Today's podcast. Today's podcast. Yeah, so today we have got... Liv Morrison back on. So after we touch on this in the chat, so I won't go into it too much, but after we finished the podcast we did a few weeks ago, Liv spoke to us about something that we really thought was important that we bring up on the podcast and speak about. That was the increase in really sadly eating eating disorders and people's negative relationship with their body through COVID. So we're going to touch on that. If eating disorders is something that is triggering for you, we recommend that you skip this episode and also make sure that you seek professional help. And we also go into some, for anyone that has through lockdown, which Steph and I can definitely relate to, and we chat to this a lot, is that maybe your eating habits have changed a little bit, maybe towards a less nutritionally, and this is completely separate to anything about eating disorders. This is just Mm. if if you've, during COVID, you have maybe been eating more takeaway or just not eating as nutrient-dense foods as you normally would, some things that you can do to kind of build and also really revisiting back to basics of what do we need Mm. in our meals to make up a nutritionally good meal. And we Mm. talk about that with Liv. She's an incredible dietitian. 
uh, and we hope you enjoy it. Liv, welcome back. I mean, it's only been a week since we last had you on, or a couple of weeks, but we're so excited to have you back again. I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. So last time when we were talking uh, at the end of the episode, when we finished up the one from two weeks ago, which we highly (laughs) recommend everyone who's listening, listen to that one. It's all about nutrition with exercise. But we started talking about the effects that you've seen in your clinic Mm. um, through this time of lockdown and COVID. Obviously, we're now coming out of lockdown, which is really exciting, but there have been some really big changes in in people's lives, obviously. And of, of course, you've seen effects in your clinic. So we thought we literally didn't want to wait to release this episode because we just thought that it could help you know, so many people because people are going through a lot of things right now. Lockdown has been just so much on everyone. So we wanted to start by talking about for you, what changes have you seen in your clinic? And yeah, what are they? I know you mentioned that there's been a really big rise in eating disorders, which is so sad. Um, are, you, are you able to talk to, to your experience over the, I suppose, the past two lockdowns, which has been two years? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's been really eye-opening um Mm. and sad and shocking and we've just seen a huge huge increase in mental illnesses um but also specifically as a dietitian eating disorders of all all ranges there's so many different types of eating disorders but the major ones Mm. that i've seen increasing is anorexia bulimia and binge eating disorders um Mm. as well as just eating disorders tendencies in general if someone's not completely diagnosed or isn't um able to get diagnosed so there's been a massive, massive influx. Um, I was literally on the phone this morning to one of the major hospitals in our area, our local kind of eating disorder unit for inpatient care, but trying to get one of my patients in there. And the intake nurse was saying that I've had an over 300% increase in eating disorders in the last mm. six months. So it's been, it's pretty been, it's been pretty concerning, unfortunately. Mm. Um, we're still waiting on the statistics for 2020 to 2021 they do come out like a little bit later in the year and take a bit of time to catch up but what we know at the moment so i'm going to hit you with some some things that we've kind of noticed especially in australia mm-hmm. is that COVID has increased just generally mental illnesses and um it has had a dramatic effect on specifically anorexia bulimia and eating disorders from binge eating as well um as well as exercise based you know mm-hmm. over exercising kind of disorders as well even though exercising disorders aren't actually like a clinical diagnosis they are a part of the eating sort of kind of realm as well that we've seen but um eating disorders in itself are quite a complex issue like i'm sure that you guys are already aware of that but there isn't like a single diagnostic criteria or a single thing Mm. that causes an eating disorder it's like a multifaceted kind of issue so there's a lot of like social issues and influences that are definitely playing a massive role. We do think that from the newer research that we've got, that social influences are actually one of the main leading roles in developing an, a serious eating disorder mm-hmm. um, and just disordered tendencies as well from like the westernized kind of approach of, you know, obsessions with thinness and mm-hmm. like diet culture and dieting that we've got. But the other kind of things are more around like the psychological kind of predispositions that you might have from a genetic kind of standpoint, as well as like biological and physiological kind of predispositions you might have as an individual too. So it's a really, really kind of complex issue. Um, and it's not a one fits all kind of size approach. So it is a little bit difficult sometimes to diagnose, especially if you are in certain demographics of the population. Um, but what we do know is that people in pandemics from our like previous research with pandemics 
is that eating disorders might rise, but OCD types of personalities are linked to eating disorders. And um, there's a bit of a relationship there. And eating dis- uh, sorry, OCD does actually heighten in pandemics in general. Mm. So we have got that research. There's a bit of a relationship happening there as well. You know, obviously it's been really, really stressful. And um, we do know that 97% of people that are diagnosed with an eating disorder do struggle with a comorbidity. So that means that they've got something else going on, whether it's another health kind of condition like diabetes or, or celiac disease or IBS, the common ones that have got a relationship with it. But commonly there's like mental illnesses in there's, we see a relationship with that. So like anxiety, depression, or other mental illnesses as well. So in the pandemic, it's we've seen a rise in all of those conditions as is, and there is a really strong relationship between that and disordered eating. So what we do know as well, which is quite scary, is it's estimated between like 75% of people with an eating disorder don't seek professional help. Mm. And considering how much of an increase we've seen, it's it's kind of concerning for me as a health professional thinking about all the people that are suffering in silence mm. and doing it alone. Oh my God, absolutely, absolutely. And I've heard that, um, you know, because of the increase, which is obviously so terrible, um, that it's been really hard for some of them. They're on like wait lists and stuff to see professionals, which is just so hard. It, I, and exactly what you said, you can only imagine how many people aren't actually speaking up it's it's terrible um but Liv what do you think are the elements of the pandemic that led to this increase in um in these kind of disordered eatings or or mental illnesses yeah so obviously it's been really stressful for so many different reasons and everyone might have a more of a you know a major thing that's stressing them out it could be financial for some people for other people it could be the social kind of restraints that we've got um so the increase in like mental illnesses, anxiety, depression specifically that we've seen from COVID is definitely, definitely an impact to be like noted, but also just the lack and change of routine as well in itself that can really affect, you know, our ability to be outdoors. Vitamin D, sunshine is so, so important for our mental health. Um, Also the routine of going to work as well as really, you know, change the routine of your eating habits as well. And the lack, it can also affect your sleep cycles as well. We know that sleep has a really significant impact on eating habits, particularly as well, mental health, right? So when we're not sleeping enough, we have an increase of anxiety or depression, so increase of stress hormones, even for the next day, it's like such a quick impact, but long-term we can see that those mental health um, and like mental illnesses kind of creep in a little bit more and without being able to be outside as well there is a really big connection between that sunlight and being outside and our sleep wake cycle our circadian rhythm so with poor sleep we actually do have an increase of hunger hormones a reduction of satiety hormones so we're more likely to you know crave food emotionally eat um, be triggered from you know anxiety depression feel more stressed as well so there's definitely a relationship between that in itself and eating disorders and disordered eating and eating habits are kind of like a stress coping mechanism Mm. too right so um i know that when we were first kind of talking about um intuitive eating and mindful eating we kind of touched on highly palatable foods they are a a way these foods that are high fat and high sugar or high carb chocolate ice cream nachos burgers all these good things are a way to reduce stress so Mm. we can have more of a tendency to go towards more of these unhealthy foods and treat foods but 
um, also we when we don't have any control, mm. right? We've got a lack of control. One of the only things that we can control is what we put in our body and how we use our body. Mm. So, yeah, it can cause a bit more of that restriction binge kind of cycle kind of creeping into. It all makes sense, really. I mean, that all makes so much sense to me. I'm I'm really lucky. I've come to a, a place where I I don't um, get too stressed out about what what I am consuming. But I 100 percent in in this time and you know what a lot of it might have to do with lack of sleep due to a newborn um and just not having the energy or feeling up to making myself you know a healthy breakfast lunch and dinner and healthy snacks every day um but I know for sure through this time I've used food as something to look forward to in the day you know like we're not getting to go out to restaurants we're not getting to see our friends and stuff like that and for me I I do love food and um some of the foods that I love aren't the most nutritious foods. And so I've probably treated myself to those things, you know, almost daily during this pandemic. But everything that you said just then makes so much sense. And I can see how, you know, if I wasn't in such a good place with, you know, where I'm at mentally and how I how I treat myself, I can see how that would have affected me, you know, if I think back to back in the day when I did have a poor relationship with food. If I was eating the way I am now, it would have it would have really triggered me. Yeah, totally normal. Mm. Totally normal. That's what I'm seeing every day across my across my desk, unfortunately. Mm. Um, and I think it is normal. You know, we haven't got too many things to look forward to, and food's delicious. Mm. <laughs> if we're at home, yep, I'm absolutely gonna <laughs> have a little bit more chalky. And um, there's, you know, we're not as motivated to go to bed a bit earlier. We might only have a couple hours to to have for ourselves and for enjoyment so we might stay up late a little bit Mm. later than normal and not sleep as much um it might not be a priority because we don't have to get up and do things right we've got restrictions on how often we can go outside and have to look for how long as well so you can't just kind of go and sit in a park in a lockdown you have to be exercising you have to be moving Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of like there's a bit of a relationship it's kind of like a double-edged sword as soon as one thing goes other things can kind of follow suit and it's really easy to do that Mm. And it's interesting how it affects everyone so differently because, I mean, obviously Steph and I have both been through our experiences with disordered eating in, in some way and, and they were quite different. Mm. And so it's interesting, Steph, hearing your perspective through COVID, whereas for me, and again, I'm, I'm so the same as you, I'm so grateful that I'm out of that headspace because I didn't go back there. Mm. But I am such a regimented dis- – and I channeled like – really am can be quite disciplined mm. when I'm wanting to control something. So I feel like with me, I'm so grateful that I'm wasn't I'm out of this headspace and you know I'm not I don't really think about food much anymore. But I mean if anything which we're gonna talk to you about eating not very well, but just kind of subconsciously I suppose. But for me in this time I, I know that if I didn't have these foundations of, you know, my relationship with myself and a good relationship with food, I could have so easily gone back into that mm. mindset of I can, you know, I can't control anything, but I can control what I'm eating. I control my, what my weight is and like, you know, go into that really regimented kind of disciplined mindset, which I, yeah, it's, it's so, it's so sad that we've had kind of two years of time really away from normal life, even mm. though, yes, we had a few months in between, but it, we never really got back to normal because we never really knew that it was going to be kind of out of lockdown forever. So it's just so much stress. And I know also, Liv, I've, I've heard the, um, the wait list for getting in with a psychologist is for eating disorders is really long, longer than normal. Yeah, it is, unfortunately. Um, 
it is something that has been really highlighted through the pandemic. Mm. Um, also with just general health professionals that aren't skilled in the area, it is a bit of a specialist area. So when you're looking at, you know, GPs as well, psychologists mm. in itself and dietitians, not everyone actually specializes in eating disorders. So a big part of my role at the moment has been, and it, it depends on what way you look at it. It could be a good thing or a bad thing, you know, for the future. Um, has been actually going into GP practices and even the ones I work out or don't work out and upskilling the GPs in what to look for, what questions to ask, what terminology um, to assess and diagnose because they haven't had experience in it before. It's not their fault. Mm. It's just that it hasn't been their specialty, but because of this massive increase that we're seeing, it's impossible for you not to be seeing someone on a regular basis that mm. is struggling. Um, so. We, we have seen that and also as a dietitian, I work very, very closely with um, my eating disorder patients and we are kind of take like do upskilling in psych-based training and um, how to help mm. them, if you, especially if you can't get in. I know it's mm. impossible and also the financial aspects of it as well. Mm. So we're kind of trying to step up and upskill. We've seen that there's a really big gap in this area of the health, unfortunately, at the moment. But the good thing is in the future, if you kind of flip it to that, a lot more health professionals are going to be skilled in this area, which is really important and probably needs to happen and has needed to happen for a while. Absolutely. I think oh. that's awesome to hear. Um, Liv, I want to ask again, with the elements from the pandemic, do you think part of it is also, I mean, for a lot of people, unfortunately, they're living on their own and, you know, they might not be seeing any friends and family. I mean, I know for me, when I think back to when, my relationship with food got really bad. It was when I was living alone in New York and I wasn't around, you know, my friends and family and I was just cooking and eating for myself um, so I could kind of do whatever I wanted in my own space, which is, you know, where my binge eating pattern really picked up. And I, it was almost like I did it in private. No one knew about it. No one was there to pick up on things that I was doing. And um, do you think that's a part of it as well, that people aren't really surrounded with, their friends and family and maybe eating with their friends and family or your friends and family aren't picking up on these things because they're just not seeing them. Do you think that might be part of it too? Absolutely. Um, especially if you're alone. Yes, absolutely. I'm saying that's been a really big consistent thing. Um, I mean, talking about is when you're alone really regularly, yes, there's no shame mm. involved around food because you're by yourself and often we feel when we're eating, shame around others and that makes us actually more mindful to an extent. So it can be a positive thing um, when we're out of the pandemic, but if you're alone regularly, there's no accountability, mm. right? So it's okay for things to slide. It's okay for you not to eat for a day, right? No one's gonna know. You can hide it a little bit easier. And there is a lot of shame that goes in with eating disorder and eating disorders um, and disordered eating, sorry. There's a fair bit of shame. So when you're taking that area away of accountability, um, and there's no shame involved with other people checking in and watching you, absolutely that's going to impact what you do around food mm. because our environment with food is is one of the major things that um, can be quite positive mm. or it can be quite negative when it comes to food and impact us. So the, the on the opposite end, mm. what I have seen is a lot of people that would normally have a really busy day would normally be able to hide their eating disorder yeah. because they're out and about and continuously being busy mm -hmm. when they've been home with their partner, with their family, with their best friends. Mm -hmm. they've, been, they've been held accountable and they've realised then, oh, hey, this actually 
this isn't actually healthy. This isn't as normal as I thought it was, or I actually can't get away with it as much now. So they've got to kind of make, start making some changes or they've got to kind of seek help. So there's two ends of the spectrum with that as well that we've noticed in the last two years. Yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's so interesting and it's just, it's really devastating. And for people who, I suppose, live, first of all, obviously anyone listening that is listening and thinking, oh, this could be me or I'm not in a really good place with my relationship with food and my body, obviously the first thing to do is seek mm. professional help with mm. someone who is qualified to speak to you. But for, for anyone listening, um, I suppose, who has developed that type of relationship, what would you say to them? You're not alone. Mm. you're so not alone and please seek help like we know that you know if three out of four people that are struggling with an eating disorder or an eating disorder tendencies aren't seeking help that's really upsetting there's definitely services available in Australia we are so lucky here to have that available and we've got specific um, plans in place to help out financially to get the services and support that you need for people with eating disorders. We have got that in place. So please know that that's actually an option for you. And, um, you know, speak to your GP about it if you are concerned or anyone, any health professional that you can find, speak to them about it and we'll get you, you know, to where you need to be. But there's, and there's no shame in that either. Like there's no shame in seeking help too. Um, the main thing that we have kind of seen seen um, like I was saying before is the social influence on people has been really quite significant and we've been at home we've been on social media a bit more it can mm. be quite triggering so my first kind of recommendation would be check your social media check the news or the information that you're absorbing and see if that's actually triggering you is it helpful is it not and start questioning that be brutal in your own mental wellness big 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 tip I am not opposed to going through my patients phones and um, with their permission um with their instagram accounts i mean like does this model mm. make you feel good about yourself when you're seeing this or is it triggering you or not mm. and being brutal with that so that's number like i think that that's number one because we do see that such a massive massive impact mm -hmm. on people um but after that it can be really confusing of knowing where to start especially if you're not sure if you're what you're doing is right or if it's wrong um and where you're kind of sitting on this spectrum because it is a bit of a spectrum but uh, what some of my patients do find quite useful to start doing is actually to separate themselves or their sense of self from the issue at hand. So say, for example, um, you know, they're really, really thinking about food or they're feeling like really, really bad that day and they're constantly body checking and um, it's, it's, it's constantly thinking about it. Writing that all that down and then actually thinking about it from the perspective of if my best friend or my sibling, someone I love, came to me with this exact same issue, what would be the advice that I gave them, right? Often that advice is the logical thinking that we do need to kind of pull us back, ground ourselves and the advice that we do need to take so it can help mm. kind of um, kind of put things, you know, into the big picture perspective as well. So a lot of people do find that really useful. Uh, you can start writing down your fears around food or yourself or whatever might you might be thinking about regularly onto a piece of paper. And often when you put it in, in front of yourself, it makes it a little bit easier to figure that out as well. But thinking about also questioning um, how often a day, how many hours a day do you think that you think about food mm. or body mm. or weight, right? Putting that into like a really logical, this is how long I'm taking. I'm taking probably like four hours out of my day thinking about this stuff. What would happen? Question yourself. What would happen if you didn't have to do that? Mm. How much space would you have? What would you do with that extra 
kind of space and time in your brain, in your life to grow, Mm. you know? And so that can be a motivating factor too. So you can start to kind of plot it out that way. We have got um, something that I do notice really regularly is like a bit of tall poppy syndrome, particularly when it comes to food. We've got a big issue with that in Australia as it is. You know, if you say something nice about yourself, generally in school, you might have been bullied. Yeah. You know? <laughs> You're overly confident. We just shoot you down. Um, so we do see that with food a little bit as well. That can kind of have a bit of like an impact on that with not being able to say something nice about your body, not being able to say, hey, I am actually doing okay. I have been eating more homemade meals. I am eating more vegetables. I'm exercising more than I was before. And like congratulating yourself on those small steps. We're not great at doing that. So starting to actually like list, you know, if you're having this rumination, you're having these negative thoughts kind of creep in, listing and literally writing down three positive things you've done for yourself that day can be really helpful in actually undoing those negative thoughts Mm -hmm. and showing yourself, hey, I'm actually doing okay. I'm not as bad as I think I am because we are so geared into shooting ourselves down and seeking that negative as opposed to the positive. Mm. Unlearning those kind of things and those beliefs and those structures in a positive way is really important. So um, start also questioning like, how many times a day am I body checking? Am I grabbing myself? Am I you know, lifting my shirt up in the mirror? Am I, you know, looking at myself in car mirrors or windows to see what I look like? Check in with that body checking as well and see how much time that takes you or how many times a day that's happening Mm. and try to reduce that if you can because that's really quite important in making yourself, you know, your your relationship with yourself and your body better. That's one of the first steps. Making sure that you're actually, like, moving your body in a nice way, you know, getting in some activity, some exercise and something that you enjoy can be as simple as, like, a 15-minute walk. We have seen that in that time frame in itself with exercise, there is a massive reduction of our major stress hormones, adrenaline and cortisol, and increase of our feel-good hormones, serotonin and endorphins. So that can really help out as well with the, you know, feelings of stress Mm -hmm. and anxiety and depression that really impact disordered eating behaviors um loose clothing as well you know wear something comfy something you don't have to constantly pull at or feel uncomfortable in and that can also kind of Mm. reduce body checking in itself as well so um that would be some major tips we know that like about 80 percent of young female australians actually aren't happy with their body so they're Mm. little things that you can start doing to help out with that today it's so sad it's so devastating and it's funny I mean not funny at all it's very serious but when I think back to when I had a bad relationship with my body I know I used to have all these clothes that when I was when I modeled in Italy yeah I was like I Steph I know you were the same I had I was so skinny because I was not eating and I was like so much smaller than I was now and I literally my whole life was rolled around exercising and not eating like you know what a sad life that was and I still kept some of the clothes for so long mm. thinking like one day I I'll might fit, fit into yeah. them and like sometimes I would like I, like the jeans I could get them on but when I wore it I felt horrible about myself because I like was literally cutting into my body mm. and it was such a nice feeling when I was like do you know what why on earth do I Size care up, about yeah. these cheap jeans they weren't even expensive these cheap jeans like I don't need to fit into them to like be worthy now I just wear, like you just don't I literally now I literally just don't like really wearing really super tight stuff because anything that makes me feel uncomfortable I just choose not to wear it and it's like I in that moment when I was having that bad relationship with food I didn't even realize that was a choice mm. 
it was like I was putting myself and especially now like I feel like especially the style of late the cutout dresses like some of the um what's that Chris Christopher Esper that yeah. designer some of the cutouts are like your whole stomach is out and then like not that doesn't suit every mm. body type yeah. and even me I bought a dress like that for my um hens actually and I returned it because I was like do you know what I'm gonna worry like I don't I'm happy with my body it's fine like I love what it does I accept it it's all good but I don't need to wear something for eight hours that I'm going to be worried about what my body looks like in it why would I put myself through that Mm, yeah absolutely I remember the day that I like there was a period in my life where I was coming out of that relationship with my body that poor relationship with my body where I kept on buying my old size denim and I just kept buying the old size and then every time and it was always online and every time I'd get it I'd try to put them on and I'd get so upset that they didn't fit and I was like why don't you just buy the next size like it's the moment that I just accepted that and started buying the next size up and you know now when I receive jeans they can actually fit and it's fine um yeah that was that was quite a big moment and I was the same laws I held on to so many old clothes thinking like I really want to fit in this one day again it's like why (laughs) why is that something you really (laughs) want to do why um but it's yeah and I think it it reminds me as well even like when I was living in New York I would get changed like 20 times before leaving the apartment because I was just so concerned about what every little part of my body looks like in it and and now it's like you know that there's absolutely outfits I put on where I'm like oh I don't that doesn't really look that great but I'm at that point where I either can't be bothered getting changed again, so I'll just walk out in it anyway, or like it doesn't eat me. It doesn't eat me up. I'm like, whatever. Okay, cool. So yeah, I think there's, there, there were some amazing tips in there, Liv, and I love that you mentioned social media because on, mm. on the other hand of things, you know, unfollowing people that make I, – I had to do that for sure. There was people who, you know, were lovely people, but I just could not stop comparing myself to them and I needed to unfollow them. Um, I even had friends that I had to mute because I obviously didn't want to unfollow a friend. I felt really awkward doing that, so I just muted them for a period. Um, but then also following people who – were really empowering and really comfortable in their skin. And um, I think that really helped me as well, seeing almost surrounding my social media with like people who were really body body accepting. And it was just, yeah, that, that really helped me too. So amazing tips. <laughs> um, but speaking of tips, I know like, as we mentioned, you know, we've relaxed with our eating patterns and stuff throughout lockdown and that's totally okay. That's going to happen here and there with life. And I wonder though if you have any kind of things you would recommend if people were wanting to kind of take baby steps out of those patterns maybe and kind of go back to eating and maybe a little bit more wholesome or however they fueled their body before lockdown, what would you recommend? Where would you recommend starting? Yeah, I think that, I think that, um, I love everything you just said. (laughs) 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 So to start off, like, I mean, easiest is best by all means. Um, Motivation comes from doing so starting is, the first step is the hardest step, but it is the first step. Um, and what I would recommend is like a really important kind of starting point if you are struggling at the moment to get back into routine, especially now we're coming out of lockdown. It can be a little bit more triggering for people as well, getting back into like the normalcy of day-to-day life. Um, but setting up a regular meal and snack times, mm-hmm. it sounds so simple, but it is so important as well as balancing your meals. Like there is a reason why we consistently talk about balance as dietitians or as health professionals as well, that there's a massive importance of you having, you know, 
X amount of protein and some carbohydrates and whole grains and healthy fats and heaps of plant fiber, there is a logical kind of explanation for that that comes back down to physiology and hormones that I'll talk about in a sec. But to start off with like regularity of food, what that's really useful for is actually your brain recognizing, okay, when's food coming in and when isn't coming in? So it helps out with digestion, energy levels, cravings, hunger and satiety hormones to help out with portions and you know making sure that you're making educated and healthy food decisions that are going to feel good for you um, and reducing you know your risk of that binge restriction kind of cycle that we've just talked about as well. So that in itself with just having kind of planning it out actually will help out with reducing like rumination on food and thinking about it consistently as well because it's already kind of decided for you. So when when your brain like after it can happen after like long-term dieting you know we are talking here also about diet culture and the impact that that has got on our eating habits and our food choices but long-term dieting or just generally food restriction and not recognizing our hunger cues actually does cause the brain to increase the amount of hunger hormones that you naturally would produce and reduce the amount of satiety or food satisfaction fullness hormones that our brain would normally also produce as well because it just doesn't trust that when it tells you that it's hungry that you're going to feed it (laughs) so regularity actually helps out with that building that trust again and you can see an improvement very quickly like it only can take a week for some people a couple weeks for others to start seeing a noticeable change in how you're responding to food how you're digesting food as well so it can even help out with things like bloating Mm -hmm. and you know abdominal pain and ibs kind of symptoms as well so the regularity of it is really important. I would say look at what your normal kind of day-to-day schedule is and make a realistic plan around that. You know, if you're not someone that likes getting up at 7 a.m. and you never have, setting your breakfast to 7 a.m., 7.30 a.m. is probably mm. not realistic. So make it really realistic to suit you so you're not setting yourself up for failure. But when it comes to the meal balancing, so the meal balancing is also like a really important thing for the hormonal perspective with food and um, really overcoming, you know, a lot of these symptoms that we're talking about before. What is actually really important is that you're getting that balance of those four major food groups. So why it's important that we add protein is because protein actually helps out with us feeling satisfied after eating. It helps out with, you know, muscle repair, muscle building and maintaining your muscle as well, which is really fantastic for our metabolism and our generalized body. Um, And it also helps out with reducing your likelihood to like emotionally binge or crave those highly palatable foods as well. So it doesn't, you know, further, like without protein, you might find that it's harder to, you know, manage emotional eating and cravings and binge eating as well. So it's really important that you're adding in protein and spacing that regularly throughout your day as well. Whole grains and like carbohydrates and things like that as well. People can get a little bit scared by that, especially with social media's impact on, you know, demonizing carbs. (laughs) but they are a good thing for you to be adding at your main meals, definitely, and spacing those through the day as well. So your carbohydrates are really fantastic for actually reducing stress hormones and improving emotional eating and sleep and cravings. So they are really, really important, but they also help out with energy levels throughout the day and reducing fatigue too. So a lot of people have heard about insulin levels, that hormone that's to do with carbohydrates and sugars that um, I've also seen a lot of this stuff kind of coming out Mm. with on social media and demonizing that hormone, it's not a bad thing, right? It does get reduced, like produced, insulin does get produced in response to carbohydrates, but realistically, without having carbohydrates regularly and having a healthy amount of them, 
you will have an increase of a hunger hormone called glucagon, right? So including them at your main meals is actually really important in you know reducing binge eating and emotional eating as well for that hormone. There's healthy fats as well. So you want to add some of those in like olive oil, avocado, nuts and seeds. Um, they're really important for the absorption of fat soluble vitamins like vitamin D or um, vitamin E as well. And they're really important for our reproductive hormones for females and males, testosterone, estrogen, as well as improving a satiety hormone or a satisfaction hormone called CCK. And then we've got all that plant fiber. So you just want to eat as much as you want of and make sure you include in like an abundance with your main meals and snacks of all of your colorful fruits and veggies and salads and things. They really help out with just feeling really full and getting satisfied after you eat, as well as, you know, satiety hormones as well so they do kind of fill you up and make sure that you're getting like a lo nice low gi meal so you've got sustained energy to help out with cravings when um so if you are someone that's on a kick meal plan as well just know that that is something that i'm really chronically analyzing and making sure that you get a nice even balance between each of those four food groups as well so just rest assured um <laughs> they are all nice and balanced for you too um, if you are someone that's like, you know, thinking about this and getting concerned, or if you are someone also that isn't sure about what foods are in the food groups and how much mm. should I add, I will save your time in your ears because otherwise I could talk about that for an hour. group. <laughs> it's a really good idea for you to look up the Australian Guide to Healthy Eating. They have all of that on their website for the different types of food groups and how much you should add, so portions and things like that. It's a really helpful um, resource for you to kind of look up. We do use this as dietitians, but also, you know, doctors use this website as well as PTs. So it is kind of a useful kind of bit of information out there if you are concerned about those things. That is really helpful. Thanks, Leben. And I think as well with the with the kick meal plan, even for me, for me, following an exact meal plan is not just because day things change. You might end up out of the house and you can't follow it exactly. But what I use it for is really the dinner and lunch. Like when I'm cooking, just knowing that, that I can go to the. So for anyone listening that's you know has is on kick and and wants to follow the meal plan, like if that works for you, amazing. But you don't have to follow it exactly. They're, all the recipes there have been approved by you, Liv. So they're, they're all balanced. You know they make up. They're balance they make up all of those food groups so it's that i find that is the best way to to kind of use it for me and then also when it comes to dinner time i can never think of what to make because i'm so tired the next question i really wanted to ask Liv was with accountability with food so obviously with steph and i for us calorie counting is not something that we can do because and it's also something that's really ingrained in kick as well we don't speak while you check all the meals for you know so they have the adequate adequate calories it's not something that we put on the app because we know it can be super triggering kind of as it is for us so for me when i was in my worst state with food I was calorie counting every single thing that went into my mouth, which meant I was thinking about food for five hours a day, kind of what you spoke about before, because I was just, oh, is this going to be too much? How much is this? And you can't go out for lunch because like, or anywhere, because what if they use butter and I can't put that in my silly app. And like, so that for me was just, it was really bad. But at the same time with, for people that want to 
be a little bit more accountable with their food. And when I say that, first of all, balance is the most important thing. But if, for example, with me, I've been eating so much takeaway through lockdown and I feel like because we just have to cook breakfast, lunch and dinner every day and then we don't, we haven't gone to the supermarket because we're not motivated. And then if I look at the nutritional value of what I have consumed like for the past few months, it's a lot lower than what I would usually be eating, like a, a bit healthier and more nutritionally dense food. So for me, I want to try and get back into that routine and I suppose like with exercise as well we do things to make ourselves accountable so we might say we're going to do three strength sessions this week but with food it's a little bit different and also I I suppose I wanted to ask you accountability wise if you don't want to count calories you don't want to think about your food as a number and, and you have you know you can be triggered by that is there any way to kind of set or try and eat a little bit better a little bit more nutritionally wow without without focusing on those things yeah exactly yeah Absolutely. And I love that you brought up the fact that you guys hate calorie counting. Me too. <laughs> me too. I, um, there's only a small percentage of the population that does well with calorie tracking apps and calorie counting and, you know, weighing their food and macros and all of that stuff. And um, generally what we do see is people that do quite well in that are young males between the ages of 20 to 30 um that are also trying to gain weight mm. or people that want to gain weight mm-hmm. right because it's to do with abundance mm. so instead of restriction right i need to eat more food as opposed to i need to eat less food and cut these things out um the brain doesn't do too well with with focusing on restriction when it comes to food because we are genetically built to be scavengers we need more food for survival as opposed to less food for survival that's genetically how we are made right so i Calorie counting apps are a bit of a dangerous thing, especially if you're someone that knows that you have eating sort of tendency, mm. you struggle with body image and you have, you know, you've, you're currently going through treatment for an eating disorder or you've had an, a past history with one and, you know, you're recover- in recovery now. Highly recommend to completely steer clear of them. Mm. They chronically, statistically what we see is they chronically underfeed people. Um, what you might track and put into the app is commonly overestimated when it comes to calories. So you're thinking that you're eating more than you actually are. And so many people, nearly every single time I see this, especially for a female, I'll see that they're on a like 1,200 calorie mm. meal plan, maximum 1,400 calorie meal plan. How is every single person getting the same thing? We all have different requirements and different mm. needs. So highly recommend against that. I love that. Um, what I would recommend, though, is is actually just like taking a back seat and stripping everything back and thinking about what are the most important things to me to nail first off? Mm. How do I make this so simple I can't not do it? And that's where you'll get long-term growth, right? Because if you make it really simple, you'll end up actually being motivated to do more as opposed to setting yourself up for failure. Mm. So what we do see, um, and this is this is what's really interesting when it comes to food and why food is so difficult to change compared to other areas of health, is that we have a minimum of 70 food decisions a day, statistically up to 200. If you have an eating disorder, that is well and truly over that figure. Mm. We think that that's at least double. So if you're looking at the mental energy going into food choices, just from a baseline, there's a heap, right? There's so much energy per day that we're, we're thinking about food, planning food, um, and it's taking a lot of time. So what I would recommend is looking at what you would want to change and picking two, one to two things that you want to start with and focus on that for one 
to a couple weeks mm. and then increase that or choose something else. Mm. So you're starting like slow and then slowly increasing. Depending on how quickly you can kind of nail what you're what you've chosen is how quickly you should add something else in. That's where you get that sustainability. Going hard and fast and doing everything tomorrow is not going to work well, right? There's too much change, too much restriction, mm. and you'll most likely end up in you know, emotionally eating, binge eating and relapsing, which is going to trigger you for that binge restriction cycle, mm. right? So an example of that would be, okay, I haven't been exercising through the pandemic. I've been really struggling with motivation for that. So I'm going to focus on normally prior to the pandemic, I was exercising every day after work. Going from what you're doing now to that before the mm. pandemic is a lot. Pick one to two days a week. So Monday and Wednesday, I'm going to go for a walk after work. That's a perfect start. If you do more, you do more and you're filling up your cup. If you just do those and that's what you've managed, fantastic, mm -hmm. you've done your job. Um, perspective is super, super key. So thinking about things from an abundance perspective over that restriction perspective is what exactly I would recommend. So what do I want to eat more of as opposed to what do I want to eat less yes, of? Yeah. So yes. I want to eat yeah. more homemade meals instead of saying I need to stop takeaway. Or I need to stop eating out. We're getting out of like we're getting out of lockdown. You're gonna eat out. You're gonna be yes. a bit more social. Allow that. Mm, like mm. it's realistic and it's unrealistic for you to say that you're not gonna be doing those things. But why don't you focus on times that you are at home anyway to focus on those times to have more homemade meals as opposed to every single day I have to have you know going too far mm, on the other end mm. of the spectrum. Um, so what I would recommend in terms of accountability is that. It's real. It's what would you say, like statistically, in terms of food, is that having an appointment with like a dietitian or nutritionist or a health professional is actually really, really important mm. to start off, especially if you're struggling with an eating disorder or like tendencies. Um, but for other things, it can also be like really simple to get started. So, an exercise buddy, someone that you even like call if you're not in the area to see them, to go for a walk on those days that you've planned out. Um, also having like a simple checklist. So each day you're just like, okay, I'm gonna have homemade meals. I'm gonna just add onto my to-do list, breakfast, lunch, dinner, afternoon, tea, dessert. So you're like ticking it off. It might not even have anything to do with food written down because you don't want that to kind of form into a food diary or a meal plan mm -hmm. or a calorie counting kind of side of things. But just something so simple for consistency. Um, or alternatively, you could add in exercise on there into your goals or water onto your goals or making sure that you go to sleep at a certain time onto your goals. Some of my clients that really struggle with setting up that regularity of meal times throughout the day, and they're like, my work's been crazy busy, we're leading up into Christmas and it's the end of the year and it's, we're not really getting lunch breaks. Making sure that they're actually adding in at least 15 minutes into their schedule, blocking out that time to make sure that they eat lunch. Another one in the afternoon at three o'clock to make sure that they have a break to stretch their legs, get away from the computer and have something to eat. So you can do that. Other people find that they could just be like forget. It's really difficult at the start. So they might just have regular alarms starting off that go off through the day on their phone um, to help them remember, hey, I'm meant to be having some food right now. And then they don't need that in the future, but it just kind of gets you into that kind of rhythm and that schedule to kind of help out with accountability there. So some people also find that starting salt could just be a matter of, hey, the biggest issue is that I am not going food shopping. So 
the big thing that I'm seeing is that, yeah, I'm probably not eating as well as I probably should because mm-hmm. I don't have food in the house. Mm-hmm. So step one, the first goal for the first week could be making sure that I'm starting food shopping again so that I've actually got food available and good choices that I do want to eat more of ready to go. That's a good one. I that's, feel like that's, that's the biggest, biggest one. 100%. That, yeah, I'm exactly the same. I know. Like for me, it's – and I love that thought process, Liv, of it's not – if you're setting accountability goals with your, your what you're eating, it doesn't have to be – or it should not be about eating – less it's just what you can do more of so for me it's like for example this is really embarrassing but I think to last week and I so my two barriers to eating well at the moment is my partner is sitting Dalton is sitting in the kitchen and he's on meetings literally from 8 a.m until six o'clock every single day non-stop so I can't go in there and make like obviously I could if I really wanted to but I just don't go in and make a large noise so I can't like cook something you know, that takes a lot of time or is loud. Then we haven't gone food shopping. So last week for lunch, two times I had chocolate cereal, which has zero nutrients or maybe just whole, we had a whole, whole grain base though, <laughs> whole grain, but it had no vegetables, no, n- none of the vitamins, or maybe it was added, you know, processed in. But I thought to myself, and that to me is like, okay, that's not me. I usually eat a lot of fruit and vegetables during the day and for fiber and, you know, nutrients in general. And I feel better. So for me, I'm like, okay, I need to eat more of the good stuff. Like so I've now I've got tuna, rice now, salad mix, all that stuff. So I can go and make that. And I'm not having chocolate cereal for lunch because it's not a healthy option for me. And that for me is something that I'm, I've set, I've put something in place by buying, going to the shops, mm. buying stuff from the supermarket. Mm. So I can, I can make that change. I, so that's an example for me. A hundred, <laughs> and I'm the exact same laws. And it's funny. I know you've done this before and that's kind of, I, I got the inspiration from you and funnily enough from TikTok as well. But, um, <laughs> I actually went and bought, I ordered online and bought myself some glass Tupperware to keep in the fridge and made sure that I ordered like an unusual amount of fruit and vegetable, chopped it all up on a Sunday, had it prepped and put them in the Tupperware in the fridge ready because I found that I I like fruit, I like vegetables, like I like snacking on both of those things. But if I've got like a couple of bananas and apples in the fruit bowl, they'll sit there all week until they go brown, most likely. Unless I make something for Harvey. It's funny. I've actually been putting in so much more effort in food prep for him than I have my own. <laughs> but um, and then, yeah, the other week I was like, no, nope, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to have snacks and stuff around available because I, I love snacking throughout the day. I, I love eating all throughout the day. Um, and I just wasn't snacking on the most (laughs) healthy things because I wasn't prepping anything I couldn't be bothered so if I just spend at least one day and I prep a whole bunch of chopped up vegetables and fruit and they're in the fridge ready to go I know I'm so likely when I when it comes to that snack time of the day to walk in and, and grab one of those options and and know that that feels good and I know that I feel good when I eat that stuff and and it's gonna fill me up just Probably a hell of a lot better than a piece of chocolate More than or something. Milk. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, well, I think like knowing your triggers and like putting barriers in place to make it harder is like a major thing that actually worked well. Exactly what you just did. It's so funny, but um, and it doesn't mean you've cut out chocolate. No, oh my god, Sorry, no. When I'm I say still been. you're the same as me, I was also horrible. Didn't have food, so I was like, need a snack at ten a.m. Mm, there's chocolate open, so I was eating chocolate. My diet is chocolate snack, chocolate cereal. Uh, but what? At least you were having. You have been very it. consistent with kick dinners. I have noticed. Yeah, so. true. <laughs> very true. Very true. Good with dinners, but then I. It doesn't mean I'm cutting out the chocolate. I'm having the chocolate at night. I just. It's not. Like if I have chocolate cereal or half a block of chocolate at lunchtime, that's not 
like chocolate's great in moderation, but I'm not going to have very good energy no, to completely rest of my day. Particularly with the way that you start your mornings with exercise as well. Yes. Yeah. You need energy. Yeah. I need energy. And I, my mind isn't clear. If I eat something that's not nutritionally dense, like, I don't know, I, I, I literally have never eaten KFC for lunch. It's just like not something. <laughs> but as an example, I know, or any fast food. You know what's funny, Laura? That, you would probably actually get more nutrients from a KFC meal than the chocolate, <laughs> than <my> cereal. chocolate <laughs> cereal. <laughs> but with fast food, obviously, it's depending on what you choose, yeah, of course, yeah. there's some healthy options. But generally, if you get like a normal thing, leave tell me here from a dietitian point of view but I know afterwards I feel super sluggish tired I can't my mind can't focus and I want to have a nap and I don't want to feel like that in the middle of the day because I, I need my mind to work so I can you know get through my day is that right yeah that's right is that normal okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally normal makes logical sense there's no like really the nutritional value so there's calories mm. but mm. the value isn't there and the value of the food is actually what's really important mm. as well yeah totally makes sense yeah, but I think and also that's... allowing yourself not to be perfect and allowing like, okay, so normally I might like just like not what you're doing, um, not that what you're doing stuff is wrong by any means, but say for example, Harvey's not sleeping, you're having a really bad sleep regression, mm. you're tired, mm. allowing yourself not to meal prep, but allowing convenient based options that are prepped mm. and that you can have ready to go can also be like another kind of thing that you just check in with and you might notice that through the pandemic, it's been really hard having the kids at home. It's been really hard to do, even just have motivation to do those things that we normally would, that would normally come really easily. Maybe taking a step back and be like, okay, well, I'll get back to that point, but there's a medium, there's a middle ground in here mm. where I can actually use some, you know, food products mm. that are a bit more handy and convenient and reduce time and make more space in my day to not be doing those things and make it really, really, really easy. If we try and change huge things you know, all at once, go from zero to 100. It's unsustainable. Mm. You're never going to be able to do that. So for you, if, you know, if anyone listening is like, well, I don't actually, you know, you might work two jobs, you don't have time to meal prep. That's okay. What options can you find at your supermarket, for example, that might be pre-packed, but they, they're nutritionally dense? Can you choose them? It's, it's all about making, everyone's choices are going to be different because everyone's lifestyle is different, but just make sure if you're listening to this, don't put pressure on yourself to change everything tomorrow. You, you want to change and you don't want to feel like, that's what kick, it's, we're anti-diet because it's not, a, you don't want to feel like you're on a diet for your whole life. You just want to make changes that you can sustain, you know, long-term and then you'll feel that balance because I just feel like you're right, Liv. Like as soon as you hear the word diet and you think I can't have this, you want it, especially when, I mean, most, even if people hadn't been through, haven't been through disordered eating, I feel like most people, if they've dieted, they understand deprivation and wanting something because you can't have it because you've been told you can't have it. And it's not, I don't know, it's not a way that, you know, you can really sustain something long-term. So I think for anyone listening to really, really think about that, if you are going to make changes to make your diet a little bit more nutritious, take it slow mm. and make sure you enjoy it don't live basically what i'm saying is you don't need to live on chicken and broccoli for your whole life because that is not living yeah no definitely not that's exactly <laughs> what i said to my clients i'm like okay tell me say no it's not my way of the highway it's the first thing i say to them mm. if i recommend something that you one don't enjoy eating or don't see yourself doing forever don't do it mm. what's yeah. the point it's a temporary solution to a long-term problem what a way to finish live 
Thank you so much for your time today and for all of your incredible wisdom. It will help so many people. And, and as we said at the start, if you are struggling with anything to do with eating or your body image, please make sure you get professional help. It is so important. There are people out there. And yeah, thank you so much, Liv. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. I hope that people have found this really useful and helpful. We hope you guys enjoyed that chat with Liv. We'll pop her info in our show notes. If you would like to learn more about Keep It Cleaner, you can visit our website, www.keepitcleaner.com, or you can find us on the App Store and Google Play and enjoy a seven-day free trial to kick. You can also find us on social media at Keep It Cleaner, at Laura.Henshaw and at Steph Claire Smith. And we'll be back next Wednesday with another Kickpot episode. Bye. Bye.